Matthew chapter 25. And we'll dig into it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you care and love us the way you do. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we start digging into this particular truth that come, that I pray it would be meaningful to us, that it would touch us deeply, that we would be ready, Lord, to, to be the kind of people who are watching and waiting and ready, and that you would help us in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the parable of the ten virgins. It's one of the most famous parables in all of scripture. And, and what I want you to grab hold of is Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 uh, was asked the question, Lord, what will be the sign that you're coming? And he goes into a series of signs to watch for. And then over and over again, he says, I want you to watch. I want you to be ready. I do not want you to be caught off guard. I, I want to make it as clear as I can that Scripture teaches that anybody who's a follower of Christ, we ought to be saying those words, that, the word that Paul said, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And the last thing we want to have happen is to us have the coming of the Lord come upon us and we're not ready. Jesus is about to tell a parable to warn about that, and it's called the parable of the ten virgins. To understand the parable, you have to understand the Jewish wedding ceremony, and even though I've gone into it before, let me go back into it so you could grab hold of what happened that sets up this particular teaching that comes from Jesus, because in their day and time, they would have understood what was going on. What happened is in those days, very often when the children were born and they were very, very young, what would occur is the father of the, 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 the little boy would go to the parents of the little girl and say, I want to arrange for our children to marry one day. And they would make an agreement to do that. And then years would go by and the boy might know that that's the girl he's going to marry, but nothing would happen and nothing would happen. Then about the time that he's 17 or 18 or 19 years old, uh, uh, he then, in that moment of time, would go to his dad and say, dad, I think I'm ready to get it married. And, and so what would happen is he would say, okay, office. we've picked We're out the girl for you. And they would work. go down together and what they would want? share Let's together with the parents and, and they would begin yeah, to no. do the actual bargaining arrangement for the marriage. Now, I think this might be worth noting that typically the young guy is going to be 17, 18, 19 years old. The girl's going to be about 13 years old. Now, I know in our day and time, we think, well, well, wait a minute. That like seems illegal. Uh, but, but that's how they did it back then. And, and, and if we did that in our day and time, I think that would be a little odd. That means a, a junior high girl would, would be walking into the college study and saying to her friends, that guy's the guy I'm going to marry. You know, it'd be kind of cool. But, and she would be excited. But that also means that high school guys would be taking their friends down to the, the elementary school. See, see the one playing hopscotch? She's mine. <laughs> Little bit different way of looking at things, right? But the bottom line is the parents would sit down together and they would begin to say, can your son support my daughter? That was it. We're going to get into this later on uh, uh, in, in May and June. But that was what would happen. And so when he would begin to prove that he could support the daughter, then they would set the day of the betrothal. And what would happen is the village would gather together and all the family and friends would come and they would get ready to celebrate the fact that these two are ready to commit to one another. And, and the groom's parents would walk him in and he would walk between them. And the bride's parents would walk her in and they would gather together under an, an awning that would be a time of declaration. And the idea is that they're coming underneath something that says they're under the presence of God. And, and the rabbi would begin to go through the wedding ceremony. And then at that point, they would actually do a marriage contract that 
says if the marriage doesn't work, what would occur? And then he would pronounce them husband and wife. And they would usually break a glass or do something to show that their separate relationship prior to this now is, con- is being called into a committed relationship. And so they smash the glass and everybody cheers. And then the groom would go with his mom and dad to his house and the bride would go with her mom and dad to her house. And for nearly a year, they wouldn't see each other. The goal was, even in a small village, that do everything they could to avoid even eyesight contact. Now, what he was supposed to do during that year was he was supposed to do two things. One is he was supposed to save up enough money for them when they got married to have what we would call a one-year-long honeymoon. Could you imagine that? I mean, not two weeks in Jamaica. It's one year of sharing together and really being able to tune into their new relationship together. The, the other thing he would do in this time is he was to show that he cared for her and loved her. And so he would begin to leave different kinds of gifts for her and different ways to say that she was on his mind. And in the, in the midst of doing that, his hints were supposed to build to show her father a hint that he was getting ready to finally come and get his bride. And that's what would happen. And the father was to start getting ready a a huge wedding feast. And the idea is the groom, when that day finally arrived, and it was supposed to be a surprise, uh, he's given enough hints, enough signs that he's coming, that she would go and gather together her bridesmaids, and she would have them, and they were always virgin bridesmaids, and he would have them wait in the middle of the town. Her house would be on the one side. He would go on the furthest side and gather his groomsmen together, and at evening time, Somewhere in there, he would start to walk. And the people in the village would shout the words, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And, and they would begin to gather together and the procession would grow and grow and grow. And then they would come to the, the virgins who stood out there, the bridesmaids, and they would light lamps and they would come over and they would kiss him. And then they would walk together as the, the bridesmaids lit the way, symbolizing the light of God was going before impurity. And as it walked closer and closer to the house, they would get to the house. And then the bride would come out to meet him. And they would hug and they would kiss. And then they would go inside. And, and everybody then would gather around waiting for the feast to start. And then just this doesn't have to do with the parable of the virgins, just so you know the rest of the story if you haven't heard it. He and her would go into the wedding chamber and shut a curtain and they would consummate the marriage while everybody else stood outside waiting. And then he would open the curtain. He would yell, it is finished. And they would cheer and they would go and start the wedding feast. And they would, anyway. Uh, so It's a little different way of doing things, but that might help you understand this amazing parable of Jesus asking the question, you ready? Are the virgins ready? Is the bride ready for the day I come? And just like you would not know the exact moment the the bridegroom was to appear, Jesus said, my coming is going to be such that no man knows the day or hour, but I'm going to come. But the point is, you need to be watching and you need to be ready. Pick up chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in the flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some oil for our lamps. Our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No. 
There will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Notice who goes in. Those who are ready. Those who are ready. Go in with him and the door is shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Be on the alert then. Uh, don't let yourself be caught off guard. Now, now what is going on here is when, when the signs were given, when the hints were given, when the, the overtures were made, they should have gotten ready more than ever. One reason we should be ready for the Lord's coming is because he, he gives overtures, he gives signs. Jesus has told us there are things we look for. He says when false Christs appear, you know that the coming of the Lord is happening. And we've seen false Christs appear. And when he says peace is taken from the earth, and there's war and rumors of wars, then you know that my coming is impending. You know it's getting close. He said when disease hits, and matter of fact, one of the signs of his coming is a disease that hits in such power that nearly a quarter of the world's population is wiped out. Well, then you know. By the way, you know what's interesting is we, right now, in our day and time, have watched the world take notice of a particular disease. You know, the swine flu. Now, many of us, and, and, and I'm one, and some of you are too, we think it's a little overrated at this point. It's not that people dying is not a tragedy, but the reality is we're not watching the number of people die that most of us would feel is a global pandemic that we should be afraid of. But does that mean that we're, we're saying that we're wiser or smarter than the World Health Organization? And the answer is no. Here's the point. That, that the World Health Organization's concern is that the flu is going to be a disease that will wipe out one quarter of the world's population. They call it travel corridors that when, when the disease hits and it mutates to a place where it literally will kill 80% of the people that get it, that what happens is it just takes a few people getting on planes, going to airports, and having the air recirculated, and then that beginning to spread at such a rapid rate that people could just start having the flu and dying and dying and dying. And the only way to stop that from happening, you've seen them try to do, and that is to ask people not to go out in crowds, to ask people to stay in their homes, to ask people not to go out and interact, to close down schools, to close down uh, uh, gatherings. I mean, in Mexico, they closed down church services, and, and, and that's the only way we could even possibly hope to do it. But the truth of the matter is, once it begins to spread, it's going to spread in an incredibly rapid rate. And could the swine flu, the H15 or H1N1 flu, mutate to be a killer? The answer is yes. And while right now they know it's not as deadly as it could be, they've elevated the number uh, uh, the level number of a worldwide pandemic because they know all it is is one mutation away from being the killer that they've seen coming, that they've watched coming, they expect to come. Now, most scientists, by the way, don't believe that the swine flu is going to be it, although it has potential. They believe the bird flu, the avian flu, the H5N1 virus is the one that will be the real killer. And that's why they've been watching it so carefully. And so today we live in a world that, that actually is wary of this coming on and exploding and getting ready to kill person after person after person in horrific ways. Now, you know what I want you to think about is that 10 years ago and 20 years ago, do you remember anybody ever talking like this? 
And, and by the way, some of you might go, yeah, the only people I ever heard talking about this were pastors. Why? Because we studied scripture. And now we see it coming upon us. So scientists are understanding that the truths of God's word are accurate and are going to come to pass. By the way, not to be, uh, uh, um, not, not, not to be dramatic in, in a bad way, but I just got to say it, and it's not. It's just truth. The question is not if it's going to happen. The Bible says it is going to happen. And Jesus said, when you live in a day where people are aware that very quickly, one quarter of the world's population could die from disease. No. Know that my coming is soon. When you live in a time when the whole focus of the world is on the Middle East, when Israel has become a nation again, when Jerusalem is back in the hands of the Jewish people, when they're talking about rebuilding the temple, know that you live in those last days and know that it's coming upon you. Know that, that you should be ready. You should be watching. And by the way, all of us who are followers of Christ and studying scripture, just three weeks ago, uh, the word came out that Israel is seriously putting together a plan to attack Iran. I mean, I, I don't know if that doesn't get your attention and you don't go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. As bad as things are in the Middle East with what's happened with Iraq, with what's happening in Afghanistan, with what's going on, what do you think is going to happen when Israel does attack Iran? And they're putting together a very serious plan to do it and they floated the plan out there and they want the U.S. backing on an actual attack on the nation of Iran. We live in that time. And when you watch a, 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 a country the size of the state of New Jersey dominate the world's mindset and, and dominate our vision of what's going to happen in peace, it says, be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. You know, before 1948, there wasn't even an Israel. Before 1967, they did not own the city of Jerusalem. And God has said, I want you to open your eyes. He said, open your eyes if you live at a time when there could be a one-world economy and you could not buy or sell unless you have a mark on your right hand or up on your forehead. And without going into all the different ramifications of it, we live in a time where it's not just a bad time in our economy in the United States, it's a bad time in the world economy. And you have China pushing as strongly as they can for a one-world currency, and their biggest reason for it is they don't want the economic indexes around the world tied to the U.S. dollar. The dollar going up and the dollar going down creates too unstable of a worldwide economy. And you've got one of the most powerful nations in the world saying it's time to get off this, this roller coaster ride. And one of the ways to solve the problem is for us to go to a one world economy. And recently, the prime minister of England has joined in that call. Would you have ever thought there was a day coming like this? And 30 years ago, 20 years ago, the only people seriously talking about it were who? Pastors. And now you've got the leaders of the world joining the chorus for it. We live in a time like no other. And every now and then I'll have someone say to me, oh, it's always been like, oh, it's not always been like this. There's never been a time like this. And we live in a moment where the Lord is literally standing at the door. You might say, is he really? Well, James, the, the brother of Jesus said, behold, the judge is standing at the door. I think in my mind, by the way, the door has opened. 
And he's looking and getting ready to invade. Now, how long do we have? We don't know. And here's Jesus's point. You're not supposed to know. You're supposed to watch and you're supposed to be ready. You're supposed to understand the times you live in. You're not supposed to be caught off guard. Uh, before we go back and look at this a little bit more, I want you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. And I know I've shared this before, but because we're on the topic, I think it's worth addressing again. Because uh, every now and then someone will say, well, you know what, I, I, I know that the Bible teaches no one can know the day or hour, and we're not supposed to know their day or hour. But on the other hand, he never says to be ignorant. He never says not to watch. But the great thing that I want us to understand is while the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, what does he say to us? He says, I want you to be ready. I don't want you to be caught off guard. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, we know that. We know that he's going to come like a thief in the night. We know we're not going to know the day or hour. But notice what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a pregnant woman with child, and they will not escape. Who is the one saying peace and safety? It's not the believer. He says it's the one who's going to be caught with destruction coming upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Verse four, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who get drunk or who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. And he says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. He says, but the day is not to overtake you or me like a thief in the night. We're not to be caught off guard. We're not to be caught unaware. Do we know the day? No. Do we know the hour? No. But do we know the times and seasons? Do we know when the signs of the coming that are given are beginning to take place? Does our mind catch us to a place that we observe, as Jesus said in Luke 21, when these things begin to happen, look up and watch because your redemption draws near. And all of a sudden, suddenly it comes, pow, you just don't know when it's going to hit. Suddenly it comes and it's just going to shock people. Some babies come early, some babies come late. The Lord says, but you know what? You can see a pregnant woman and you can tell that she's getting in that time period. And you never know when it's going to happen. I was talking just recently because of our experience with Jill having the baby about how that's occurred. And, and uh, I, there was one woman in particular I heard about that had 32 hours of labor. Can you imagine that? That 32 hours. And, and in the same hospital at Kaiser Riverside, there, there was another woman who had her baby before she got there. And they're wheeling her and the baby in. The coming of the Lord could be either one. All of a sudden, it could be upon us. Or we could go into an immense time of labor. But Jesus said, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. And if you look back to Matthew 25, notice what it says. It says that the key is we need to be ready when the Lord comes. 
And, and we need to be on the alert. Verse 13, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or hour. And the Lord says, I want you to be watching, and I want you to be ready. And I want you to be not like the foolish ones, but the wise ones. And what were the wise ones doing? They had their lamps ready. They had the oil ready. And the oil, most of us believe, is symbolic for the Holy Spirit. That they weren't wasting their time. They weren't apathetic. They were watching. They were excited. And they were ready when the Lord came because they had done what they needed to do. And they had been who they needed to be. And God's great desire is for that to happen. And, and he says, I don't want you at the last second going, oh, I got to quickly get my affairs put in order. Oh, if, you know, if only I had known, Lord, you were coming, I, I would. And the Lord says, just be ready all the time. Be watching. Be ready. Be, be excited. God's great desire is that we would be that way. And when we look at this parable, what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, I want more than anything for when I come for you to excitedly greet me, for you to be on the edge of just jumping up and saying you're here because that day is coming. We really live in a time where while we're not to bury our head and we're not to panic un. Uh, in, in a way that would not make sense, we should take a sober look at what's happening. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, be sober. Be sober. Be ready. Be, be aware. Don't be caught off guard. And then the virgins come and they stand and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And Jesus calls out the most important piece of the issue that could ever be brought up. And he says this in verse 12, he says, truly I say to you, I don't know you. I just don't know you. The ones he knows are the ones who spend time with him. The ones he knows are those who have a true relationship with him and they can't wait for him to come. They have a passionate love for him. Those who know him are going to live a life where we say because Jesus loved us enough to die for us, then we want to live in such a way that we would be willing not only to die for him, but to live with him for everything we had. And the Lord says, I want you to be that way with me. And I want you to rejoice when that day comes. And I want you to look for that day to come. And it's the great calling of God that we're ready. We have our lamps ready. We have the oil of the spirit ready. And, and we're ready in the moment of time to say, God, here it is. We're ready to step with you. I recently brought up a... a, a in a pastor's meeting, gathering our pastors together, I brought up a quote that, that has always been on my mind, and it's this one. Knowing that we're living in the last days. Knowing that we're living in the last days. Why has God, in all of his wisdom, chosen for you to be alive in such a time as this? It's not an accident. You might say, well, in the whole realm of the scheme of things, am I that important? The answer is yes, you are. Why did God choose for you to be alive now? Why did he choose for you to exist now? What is it that you're supposed to do and be in a time such as this? We matter more than anybody could possibly know. And you know what I really believe is I believe with all my heart that Every single church matters and every single Christian matters. And we all have a, a piece of what we're going to do in the great equation of what it means to live in days like this. And it's the most exciting time we could ever be alive. I think maybe the only other time as exciting as this is if we could have been on the earth when Jesus walked the first time. But to be on the earth when he's going to come the second has to top that even. 
Because we have the Holy Spirit, and we have a calling, and we have a difference we can make. And, and we need to hasten the coming of the Lord. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? One is we reach as many people as possible. We literally say, God, we want this church to make a difference, and we want to reach out in an incredible way. I, I know that this might sound a little prideful, but years ago, I began to even say, God, I, I know, I know that there's one last person to reach, and I would love to be the one to reach them. And, and, and now I've kind of broadened that prayer and, and said, Lord, I would love the church that I'm a part of to be the one to reach them. And wouldn't it be something if God said yes to that prayer and said, you know what, it's going to be somebody from Crossroads Christian Church that does it. They could be in Nicaragua. We just had a team down there. What if they're witnessing to somebody and they give their life and pow, we all go to heaven. Or, or they could be on our Kenya, in, in Kenya. You know, there could be a child in a, a slum in Kenya that one of our team walks up to and shares Christ and we all go. They could be in China. Tony has a real heart for us to get involved more and more in what happens there. Or Peru or India. You know what? They could be here. That person could be living in Lake Elsinore right now, wondering why they bought a house that now is so upside down, not knowing they're the last one to be reached. And, and, and you know what? Brian and his team could be down there, and that's what's going to happen. They could be in our Generate ministry. And then all of a sudden, you know, the invitation's given, and, and Tony says, you know, if you're here tonight and you want to make this decision, just rate. And all of a sudden, we just all rapture to heaven. You know, I mean, I, and, and, and I hear the Lord go, crossroads, you did it. I said, yes, and you did it. And all of, King, you know, we were like, oh, we got to do that for you, Lord. The bottom line is, God says, I want you to be watching. I want you to be ready. And I want you to hasten my coming. I want you to be like a group of virgins who were waiting excitedly for this amazing wedding feast to occur. And when the shout, the bridegroom's coming, the bridegroom's coming, as they jumped up in excitement, not in horror, because they were ready. And if we ask that question, God, why did you call us to be alive in such a time as this? Then I hope it causes you to start thinking, okay, I do matter. And you do. Let me uh, ask the question tonight. Where are you at with the Lord? Are you in a relationship with him where you're ready if he came? Are you in a relationship with him where you're passionately excited about his coming? Are you in a relationship with him where you're rejoicing in this whole idea? And, and if you're not, let me tell you something. He loves you and he cares about you and he desires for you to have a relationship with him. And tonight, if you're here and you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus, our greatest desire is for you to come to know him. How do you do that? The Bible tells us we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. What you do is you actually pray a prayer and you say, Lord, I want to give myself to you and I want to be yours completely. And I want to live my life with you now and ready for when you split the sky. I don't want to have to be afraid of what's coming not just because of the things I've just said. In other words, you're not afraid of the economy in its turn. You're not afraid of, of, of the next bad thing that happens because you've got a God who can hold you up and love you and take you through it no matter what. Tonight, here's the question. Do you know him? Do you really know him? And if you don't, he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so what we're going to ask you to do in a moment is if you want to come to know him, is we're going to ask you to pray a prayer where you call in the name of the Lord. And what that means is you begin to whisper a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to do it with me right where you're sitting. 
and to say to God, I want to give my life to you. I want to be yours completely. If you're here tonight and at one time you used to be really, really excited about Jesus and live in a very amazing way with him, but now that's not happening. Now when you pray, you're not sure if he hears. Now the whole idea of of spending time in prayer with him just seems cold. And you want that back. You want that relationship back. Let me tell you, Jesus wants you back too. And what should you do to get it back? You should pray the prayer with us again. Not to become a Christian again, but to recommit yourself to him. So tonight, when we go to prayer, if you want to commit your life to Christ or recommit, I'm going to pray in the beginning, stop, and then invite you to pray with me. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Father, I pray that we would be a church that is so committed to you and so in love with you that we look anxiously for your coming. We're excited about it. And we're watching, Lord, as you've asked us to watch. Our heads are lifted up and we're knowing, Lord, that the times we live in are the most amazing times ever. Father, I pray every person here who loves you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's an amazing, incredible gift they've been given that they get to be alive in such a time as this. And if it happens tomorrow or it happens a week from now or a year from now, God, I pray we're ready. If it's 10 years from now, we're still excited for you. But we can't wait for it to come. And so, Lord, we say, Maranatha, come quickly. Tonight, I want to pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit in this room. And I pray you would touch anybody here tonight who needs to either commit or recommit their life to you. That you would stir upon them. That you would call them to you. That you would work within their heart right now. Father, I pray your spirit would touch them in a way that's deeper than they can imagine. And they would sense that this is their time to say yes to you. To come back to you. Or to give their life to you for the first time. Wow, all of you who God's touching, he knows you, he loves you, he cares about you. And God loves a moment like this where you'll say these words to him. So let's just pray the prayer together. Whisper the prayer with me. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, to make me yours. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have always created me to be and to live the life that you have me to live. I wanna be yours completely. So take me now And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer. Praise the Lord.